0: Good morning, everyone. Hey, I'm Dave McCune, and I am the... Hi. Hi. I'm the kids and youth discipleship pastor here at Trinity, and I want to speak to the students real fast. It's that time of year. We got kids coming up to the end of the school year. Is anyone graduating right now? And if you just graduated college, we want to include you. If you're a college grad in your home, that is awesome. Hey, let's give it up for the graduates. Thank you. That's a lot of work. That's a milestone. And we know that a lot of you are hitting transitions. You're going from middle school to high school. You're going from elementary school to middle school. So fifth graders, today we're so excited to welcome you up to youth for the first time as a preview. You'll start in August with middle school full-time, but today is your chance to preview it. So you're going to follow the middle school team back there. In high school, you get to stay in the sermon today. We're going to make space for those rising sixth graders. So we're so glad that y'all are here. Uh, Trinity Youth is a place to belong, and we're so glad that you're part of us. So... Y'all, thank you. You guys can go. <laughs> All right. Um, while they're going, I do want to highlight our students, the fact that Owen playing cello right here is currently a student. We got Jack who graduated last year. We've got Elliot and, and back there running sound. And earlier, Xander was doing the slides. Y'all, our young people matter. If they disappeared from our church, it would be a totally different place. I mean, it's, it's wild. You should see from up here when everybody gets up. <clears throat> the different spaces around this building. So they matter, so glad that they're part of our time together. Couple other quick announcements for you today, is May 21st, which means it's my mom's birthday, which is so exciting. My, my mom is here, I think she's over here. Um, she, her and my dad just moved to Georgia after spending, man, close to 40 years in Buffalo, New York, um, or more than that, which is amazing. So they're down here with us now. Mom, I love you, thank you for teaching me about hospitality. Um, Get to know my mom and my dad. They're great people. Um, Second thing I want to announce to you, um, thank you for praying with us for the past year for a kids pastor. We keep announcing that to you. And I have some really good news. Um, We have made a hire in the last week on that front. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, It's been an answer to prayer. So I want to introduce you to Katie Osi. Um, She'll be in person at the end of the month, but Katie and her husband, Brendan, from Grand Rapids, Michigan, they were already moving to Atlanta, and just a cool series of circumstances worked out um, that her skill set just matches really what we're looking for. She has a lot of experience working with young kids, um, studied elementary ed, but has also worked in churches um, developing spiritual formation for young people and equipping volunteers to run it. So that's just like the side of what she can do. She's just a really lovely person, and really excited for you to meet her. You're going to love her Um, when they show up. Her first Sunday will be in June. So that's really good news. I wanted to share with y'all. Yeah, it's awesome. All right. It's the clap day. This is great. We're clapping a lot because we go big during Easter season and it's still Easter. So I want to remind you of that. We have Easter for one more week here at Trinity. In the Anglican tradition, we celebrate Easter for 50 days. Next week is what we call Pentecost Sunday. If you're new to the Anglican traditions, 50 days past Easter. But today is still Easter. So turn to someone and say, Happy Easter. Does that feel weird to anybody else? If it does, we'll work on it for next year. So we're ready. And it's more than just, you know, a guy called his own resurrection and it, and it happened. Like that's, it's incredible. It's the event that changed history. But uh, it's a reminder that wherever you are, If you feel stuck, if you feel like it is impossible to get through the thing that you're facing, the resurrection is a reminder that Jesus' life is bigger than the deepest darkness you will ever face. And so we need to sit with that for some time. It's not enough to just spend one day on it. We've got to spend 50 days soaking in that reality. Because when we face the dark things in our lives, when we face our past, when we face the ways that we've been wounded, man, it can feel impossible And so to have 50 days of reminding ourselves, when things look dead, resurrection happens. Resurrection is there even in the darkest places. Let that be a prayer for us today because we're talking about eternal life. So we're going to read from John 17. This is full circle, talking about Easter. Next week, we'll be on to Pentecost. So we'll be with the church as they start living after Jesus has ascended. But today, we're back with Jesus in the night before his execution. He's with his best friends. They've just had the Last Supper, John 17 finds us. They have just left the building, the upper room, where Jesus has shared an intimate meal with his friends. And as they're on their way, he stops and prays. So his friends are with him. It's nighttime. If you want to imagine the scene or close your eyes, there's probably torchlight or oil lamps. They're outside. And Jesus prays, and his prayer has three parts. He prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for those who will come to follow him, which is you if you've put your faith in Jesus, which is so cool. So that's the context for this. Now this passage, just a heads up, it's not like a a story, it's not a parable, it is a prayer. It's very Johnny, if you've read John before. So bear with it, um, but it is rich. So let's read. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven, and this is where his prayer begins, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those who you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them. And they have received them and know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. So Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. This is the word of the Lord. Let's God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the example of your prayer. I thank you for not only your death, but your resurrection. We celebrate your resurrection during this Easter season. Lord, we declare that the resurrection means that there is no darkness that is too big for you. God, I thank you that in the midst of your trial, you prayed not only for your immediate followers, but for those who would come to follow you. For our protection, God, for our unity, and that we would receive eternal life. God, today, would you awaken in us an imagination of what eternal life really is as you've intended it. God, let that bring hope to the places where we feel stuck. And beyond that, Lord, would you speak a word of life through us to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Soften our hearts now. Holy Spirit, come and settle us. Remind us that we are your kids. And you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So this passage, warning, it is dense. It's very dense. It is sort of like if you went to New York City, like you're flying through Newark, and of course you got delayed, if that's ever happened to you, anybody else, every time, right? And you've got five hours, and you can go into New York, and you call a friend, like, what should I do? And they're like, oh my gosh, there's so much you could do. You could go to the World Trade Center Memorial, you could go to Ellis Island, you could go to the High Line, you could get a show, you could get the most amazing falafel you've ever had in your entire life. What do I do? So we don't have time to hit all the highlights is what I'm saying. This is a rich, rich text. But the really good news is that the last time I checked, the Book of John is public domain. And so you can read it on your own <laughs> later. And um, if, if anything, if you miss it all, you can catch it, let me know. So we're gonna check out some highlights today. We're going to start with the fact that Jesus prays. That's a big deal. We're going to look at Jesus praying. We're going to look at the idea that Jesus has the authority to grant eternal life. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time, in this idea of what does Jesus even mean by eternal life. And then finally, we'll look at Jesus' prays for our protection and our unity. So let's get in. Jesus prays. Jesus prays. And he prays for himself. He prays for his immediate twelve. And in these 11 verses, I mean, this prayer goes on for 26 verses. We're only looking at 11, and it's this rich. You could do an entire class almost on each verse of this prayer right here. But Jesus prays explicitly later for the 12 who followed him. It's very intimate. They're with him, and he's praying over them right there. But later on, he prays similar things for those who will come to believe in him. So as you read this, you can receive this as if it is for you. But the fact that Jesus is praying for us is such a powerful Reality. A couple of weeks ago, I had a friend, Brad Malden, who was just up here. He called me out of the blue. He didn't tell me he was going to be praying for me, but he called and left a message and said, Dave, I have no other reason to get in touch. You don't need to call me back. I just want to let you know that I am praying for you. I just thought of you and I am praying for you. I just wanted you to know that somewhere, someone in the universe was thinking about you. And y'all, it meant so much. It was more than just something that was emotional fuzzies, which it was, which is often the case with Brad Malden if you get to know him. It was something I felt in my bones. It was like a physical lift, the support that I've had. Um, And so just the fact that Jesus is praying for you, I hope that that is something that you feel in your whole being. And maybe it's an encouragement. You know, how do we experience the love of God but through one another? Reach out. Let someone know that you're praying for them. A pro tip, we've all had that experience where it's like, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then later you're like, I didn't do that. And I I feel kind of weird about it. Text someone and say, I just prayed for you. That's it. And it's powerful, and it does matter. Um, Call someone. Let them know, I'm praying for you right now. Let me pray over the phone. I've done that a lot with with folks. If you've never done that, it feels awkward to start, but it is a powerful, it's a redemptive use of technology. Let's put it that way. (laughs) So Jesus prays. And then what does Jesus pray about? He goes on to talk about his work, his life's work. And he said, you granted me authority. You, You gave me authority to grant eternal life. We've got to talk about eternal life. For a couple of reasons. One, it matters to Jesus a lot. If you read John, Jesus mentions eternal life 17 times in the Gospel of John. For context, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other three Gospels, he mentions eternal life. That phrase is used eight times combined in the other three. So it clearly matters a lot. When John, who was a teenager when he witnessed this prayer and wrote it down later, it stuck with him that much to write down this through line of eternal life, that it means a lot to Jesus. So it means a lot to Jesus. And the second thing is eternal life matters because our destination matters, right? Where we're going determines the choices we make now and how we prioritize. If you're making summer plans, well, if you haven't made your summer plans yet, you gotta get, you gotta get moving on that. <laughs> the Airbnbs are filling up right now. But you plan ahead, right? You plan ahead your destination. If you're in here and you're trying out for a team or you're trying out for the theater production, you back up and you get ready and you make life choices now that will lead you to the destination you hope to end up at. If you're thinking about a job switch or a career change, or you're getting ready to move to a different part, part of the country, or you, you just moved to Atlanta, you backed up and you made preparations. If you're planning that bucket list trip, you might have to plan years in advance. The point is the destination really matters for who we are now. And eternal life matters. What we think about eternal life matters for who we are now. So here's an example from my life I love to camp. I love to get outside. I could experience God in any kind of nature. It could be a mountaintop, but it could also be at the park around the corner from my house, hanging in a hammock. I love it. I will have moments where I experience a little taste of eternal life there. And I've had the privilege to be surrounded by some amazing friends from my college days who love getting out. This one guy, especially Rory from Canada, he's, I mean, he's got the giant beard. I think he like sleeps in Carhartts. I think he was born in Carhartt overalls. And the man is a master of the outdoors. And so we had this great idea when our friend was getting married in Portland, Oregon. Like, hey, let's go, like, winter camping up until the day before the wedding, which is that's something that 25-year-olds come up with. We were brilliant. We did, we did make it out, but we almost didn't. Um, he told us, he's like, I know cold, y'all. I'm Canadian. you got to get ready for the cold. you got to be prepared. The destination we're going to is really cold, and you can really enjoy it. But you've got to be prepared for it. So one of the things, we went to the grocery store. And he said, go to, the, go to the candy aisle and find the candy that has the most calories like per packet, like the most density of calories, because you need to stuff your face with calories all day long. I'm like, let's go. This is, this is like opposite of what most people do. And it was really fun for a couple hours. And then and he's like, you've got to keep eating this Snicker until it's done, because you're going to get freezing tonight. And he was absolutely correct. I got freezing that night. And the reason I was freezing is because the sleeping bag I brought, I didn't listen to his advice about, hey, you might want to update your gear. I was like, oh, I've got a mummy sleeping bag, I'm good. Well, it was a mummy sleeping bag that I got when I was in Cub Scouts, back when I was maybe 12 years old. It no longer, like, even fit up to my head. I don't think I'd pulled it out of the bag, and, I mean, I don't know what I was thinking. I'd actually burned it on a stove, and there was duct tape holding this thing together. It lost a little bit of its fluff. And I spent that night, I mean, I don't know if you've ever slept on snow before. and that's it's a really weird thing to do. But uh, you're cold, as you can imagine. Really cold. And there was nothing between me and the snow. So I had snuggled with my buddy. I spent the next two nights to not get hypothermic spooning with my best friends. And (laughs) I was not prepared for the experience, okay? My preparation was not substantial enough for the experience that was coming, right? If I had planned better, if I had listened, if I had heeded the word of my friend Rory, I would have invested differently in the past to prepare for the experience that was coming. And so for a parallel, my, the 12-year-old version of my sleeping bag is sort of like my 12-year-old version of eternal life. That sleeping bag, it did get me through. No sleeping bag, I would have been a goner. So like it got me through, but it was insufficient for the fullness of the experience to get through. So what was my experience of eternal life as a kid? Probably a lot like you, I thought about it in two ways that I've come to understand differently. That I, If this hasn't been on your imagination... I want to poke at it a little bit. First is the idea that eternal life is purely a physical experience, that it's living forever, physically aware. Now, essentially, if we put it another way, it's being not dead forever. And I think we know deep inside, right? I spend a lot of time with young people, and and they've got a radar for this, okay? You know you're made for being not dead as long as possible, right? (laughs) That's not the point. God didn't create us and say, be not dead as long as possible, made to be fully alive. So that's one thing. I, I just thought about it in this, you know, this, this sense of like, I'll be not dead as long as possible. The other thing is I thought about eternal life as something that you get just when you die. And when Jesus talks about eternal life, go back, spend some time this week, look at these 17 mentions of eternal life in John. It starts with John 3.15 and 3.16. Many of you are familiar. It's one of the most famous passages If you're American, probably that you've heard, it's at football games, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, trusts in him, surrenders to him, should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the first mention. The final mention of eternal life, right here in this passage, in John 17, 3. So it's come full circle, this idea of eternal life. But when you read these mentions, you see that eternal life is something that we get now. So what does that mean? Like, that didn't, I didn't have a grid for what does it mean to experience eternal life before I actually physically die? So that's what, we need to do some work to get there. Um, I want to invite you to a, a practice that we have in Trinity Youth. We talk, if you come down and visit Trinity Youth for any amount of time, um, you, will, you will learn that we talk about Zoe life. We have times when we'll say, how did you experience Zoe life? Well, what do we mean by that? Zoe is one of the three words that is used in the Greek New Testament for life. Our English translation flattens it. So we get life every time one of these three words is used. The three words are suke, which is where we get like psychology from. That is translated either as soul or life. Bios, which is the one that really stands in juxtaposition to Zoe's. Bios refers to, as you, you can imagine, biology, right? So it refers to our physical existence. It also refers to like our livelihood, When Jesus talks about people making a living, that's a bios. So it's a very earthly, material thing. Not necessarily good or bad, it's just that's what it represents, physical. And then finally is Zoe life. This is my favorite. Zoe life means divine life. It means the fullness of all that we were meant to be. It's being fully free, fully alive, emotionally, relationally, physically, spiritually, vocationally, in every sense. It's being more than just not dead as long as possible. It's experiencing life as God made it, as as God intended it to be. So we'll ask questions at youth. We'll say, how did you experience Zoe life? And we'll go around. You know, we talk a lot about near-death experiences. I think we should talk more about near-life experiences. You know, when you actually experience life as it was intended to be. Because we don't get that so much on this side of eternity sometimes. But it's there. Our world is shot through with the glory of God. And these opportunities are there, and it's God reminding us that there is a bigger story that's happening. One moment that stands out to me is last year we took our students, we took 30 students to Quito, Ecuador. We served at a school called the Moria Esperanza, and we got to put on a kids' camp for uh, for 250 Ecuadorian kids. And at the end, they had a goodbye party for us, a despedida. And they did some songs, they presented us with some gifts. And then uh, an unexpected moment happened that we didn't, we didn't plan for. You can't plan for. But the, the kids that we were serving ran up to our students and just gave them the biggest hugs and wouldn't let go. And they were crying. And in that week, they had built such a bond that really meant something. And for a lot of our kids, our students, our Trinity students, it was one of the first times when they realized how much value they had as humans um, because they received the love of God from a child. I mean, really, if you want to learn about eternal life, go spend time with kids. They get it more than we do. There's a reason that Jesus says you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a child. There's a reason. Our kids know how to trust. They know when they face their limits to say, I trust a higher power. Guys, spend time with some kids if you haven't in a while. Or maybe some of you need to spend time with someone else's kids to be, <laughs> to be reminded of that. But y'all, in this moment, here's what was so powerful Our students, I could tell because I've known our kids for so long, I saw kids who have carried anxieties about the future with them, wherever they go. They've carried the burden and weight of past wounds, wounds that are some are self-inflicted, but some that just life handed them a tough deck. And these would carry them around. You'd see it on their face. But in this moment when the kids were hugging them, the veil came off and the tears flowed like ugly cry in the best way. And I saw the real version some of our kids, and all of us as leaders, we're all crying. Um, But it was a moment where from, again, the anxieties disappeared, the the recognition of past pain disappeared, and we're fully in the divine present, experiencing a near-life experience, that this is what the life that we were made for, and it's coming. Have you had one? Talk about this at lunch when you go out. When's the last time you had a near-life experience? And go spend some time with some kids, because they are the bringers of of this, they remind us of it all the time. Now here's, this, here's the thing about this. We taste it and we want to experience it all the time, but the reality is, the confusion is, there's still so much pain in our world. We live in what's called the already but not yet kingdom of God. The best I can understand it, if you think about D-Day, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, June 6, 1944. At D-Day, the Allies landed at Normandy, They had the decisive victory of World War II. From that point on, victory was not in doubt. Victory was not in doubt. The enemy was not going to come back from it. But there were still battles to fight and hardships to endure. And I don't know why that's the story we're in, but that's sort of the story. But it doesn't mean we can't taste victory now. And be reminded when we face the battles that that victory is coming. We are not without hope. I'm going to quote an amazing man of God right now. And some of you, if you follow this, um, you'll be familiar with him. Tim Keller, um, man, I get emotional thinking about it. He's, uh, he's a pastor in New York City who has inspired a lot of us in our teaching and how we do church and church planting. He went to New York City 32 years ago to plant a church in Manhattan, and people said it's impossible. You can never plant a thriving church in Manhattan right now. And it turned into a church planting movement all over Manhattan. He became somewhat of a pastor to America He's one of the the pastors out there that respect the most. He has incredible books about about faith, reasonable faith, but also about marriage. But this is what he says in a book about walking with God through pain and suffering. While other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys. I'm sorry, he passed away. Did I say that? I'm sorry. He passed away last Friday. That was the whole point of why we're quoting him. Um, He um, succumbed to pancreatic cancer. And I would say if... If you want to read something about experiencing eternal life this side of heaven, he has an incredible article that was in The Atlantic um, three years ago um, when he realized he had the news. It's published in The Atlantic. Go read it. it. It's maybe heartbreaking, but it is incredible. I commend that to you. So this is what Tim Keller has to say about navigating suffering with hope. While other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. And I love that he uses the word tasting because it's not head knowledge. It's not a just, oh, I think it will come, but it's experiencing it. It's those moments when the near-life experience, when everything seems like as it should be, that those are gifts from God. So I commend to you. Call them what they are. When you experience them, say, I just had a Zoe life moment. I just had life as it was meant to be that word Zoe, divine life, and put a flag in the ground because we're going to face battles, So we can say, but the Lord is with me. He's still there. All right. So Jesus wants to grant us that eternal life. He has the authority to do it. And it's his joy to do it. And then he defines eternal life. This is amazing. Because again, 12-year-old me is thinking eternal life is just being not dead as long as possible. I had no idea. 12-year-old me has no idea what to do with John 17, 3, which says this. um, And this is eternal life, that they may know you. Eternal life is not being not dead as long as possible. It's knowing God, the one true God in Jesus whom you have sent. Now, let me be clear. Part of eternal life is physically persisting. Our bodies matter. Our bodies are going to persist into the age to come. But it's so much more than that. Now, how do we make sense of this? For me, What helps me navigate this is to think about eternal life as a relationship or to think about my life or think about your life, that at the center of your life, the thing you orient your life around is a relationship at some point. There is a who. There is a who at the center of your life. And it could be three things. It could be yourself. It could be others, people who influence you, or public opinion, right? Or it could be a higher power. One of those three things is at the center of your affections, and dominates the influence in your life and ultimately leads to the choices that we make, where we invest our time, our talent, and our treasure. And so the question is, who is the center? Who is at the center of your life? What relationship exists at the center of your life? Your life matters a lot because each of you has a story. I mean, we we could hear stories in here. We could look around the room and think we know people. And then you start hearing people's stories. And we hear about your hopes and your dreams, but also your wounds and your sorrows. Your life has great weight to it. Great substance. And there needs to be somebody strong enough to carry your whole story. And Jesus says, I'm the only one who can do it. I'm the only one who can carry your whole story. And I'm inviting you to put your trust in me. That is Zoe life. Anything else? It's going to have a lot of good things in it, but it's going to ultimately fall short. It will be insufficient. It's going to be like my sleeping bag out in the cold. But this is eternal life, a relationship with a good father. And again, I know that's tough for some of us to hear. But the story of Easter is that there is redemption of things that seem impossible and things that seem lost. God knows your shortcomings and failures and still says, I want to give you eternal life. And y'all, I'll tell, tell you this. Some of you, you think, yeah, but if you really knew, if you really knew me, then you'd know that I'm disqualified from this eternal life thing. Even experiencing it now, I, I've done too much. Like, or I cannot break this habit. This thing is not going away. Y'all, that voice in your head, I'll say this. This is literal. Tell the voice in your head to go to hell because that's where it came from. <laughs> and tell it to go back. You can talk to the voice in your head. In the Holy Spirit, you have power to talk to that voice that tells you a toxic story about who you are and what's possible and what's impossible. Jesus wants to write a better story for you. We all want to be known and loved at the same time, but it seems impossible. So I want to make one more quote um, from Tim Keller here and honor this great man uh, in the church. This is from a book of marriage. I don't think it's up here. You can listen to it. He's talking about the distinction between or the, the seeming impossible reality of being both fully known and fully loved at the same time. Because the tension is, right, like if you really knew everything about, like literally everything, like if you had that the feed hooked up to your brain that could like project it on a wall, they're actually working on this right now, which is terrifying as <laughs> a thing to get like every thought. Like if you knew all of that, would you actually fully know me? And so we live our lives trying to manage that, right? Like I'm not going to let you know all of that so that, I want you to love me, but then it's not a real love, right? Or I want you to love me, but I won't let you know everything. It's it's exhausting to manage all that. So this is what Tim Keller says. To be loved but not known, so to, to be loved but not actually known, is comforting, but it's superficial. To be known and not loved, so you know everything about me, but I reject you, that's our greatest fear. So I'll read that again. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, that's a lot like being loved by God. It is being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Amen. He's a wise man. To be fully known and fully loved is a cry of all our hearts. I've sat with many of you, adults, adults, Young people, this desire to experience life fully free and fully alive is something that we all have. It's a hunger, and Jesus invites us to eternal life. So, the last piece, and I'll spend just a small, short amount of time on this, is Jesus prays for our protection and for our unity. And I want to mention this because I want to challenge us to think through protection and unity through the lens of this contrast between Bios life and Zoe life. So, again, the contrast between physical protection and physical unity and divine protection and divine unity. Because I think there's a difference. So let's take protection for a second. If you're like me, you often pray for friends and family members, for yourself, for protection, you know, to be safe. You're going on a trip. I, I, I pray protection over them. Those are amazing things to pray. Pray for that. If you're sick, pray for your body. Keep doing that. But know that there is a fullness of what God means by protection. He doesn't mean solely physical protection here. He can't. Because the 12 disciples who he prays this over... They died incredibly violent deaths, all except John, who wrote this book, who he in his old age was exiled to an island because the Roman Empire was too afraid of his teachings about Jesus. So it's not just about physical protection. I think what Jesus is getting at here when he says protection is guard the gift of eternal life that I have given you. I want you to experience that. I don't want the the cares of life that would choke us to diminish experiencing eternal life in this world. I don't want our hope to dim. I want them to be able to walk through the challenges that are to come and still feel fully alive and let that shine through them to others. So when you think of protection, when you pray protection for people, keep doing that. Pray for people to be healed. We believe the Lord heals, but also pray that the gift of eternal life be something that we experience in this life, regardless of our circumstances. And then unity. Unity is one that's It's tough for us in our day and age. We've been dealt a hand, a tough hand in our Western world in unity, that we can have physical unity without divine unity. That's a tough thing. I'm not going to spend much time, but I challenge all of us to really think about how we spend our time, to look at our calendars, and look at, do we make space for unity? At our retreat a couple weeks ago, the theme was one of our new core principles, our newly defined, as we've clarified our core principles here, that we want to be a joyful community of disciples making space for meaningful and reconciled relationships. For some of you, there may be a challenge today, or You may feel that, that invitation to bring a Zoe experience instead of just a physical proximity in some of your relationships. There may be forgiveness to be offered or to be asked for or just a movement towards somebody. But in the, in the current age that we're in, our world is not built for divine unity. Maybe physical unity, but not divine unity. That's the challenge for each one of us. So let's land the plane. Where do we go from here? Here's the thing for you, for appropriating eternal life. How do I appropriate eternal life for me? And I would say if you belong to Jesus, the first thing is you do not do anything. Jesus is more interested about life with you than you living life for him. If we jump right to doing, 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 that's a bios version of life. God wants us to abide with him. He wants us to receive this gift. Here's the thing. If you've received eternal life, if you put your faith in Jesus, that gift cannot be taken away. Let me remind you of that. That is yours. It can't be taken away, but it can be diminished. And so we need to remind ourselves with words of life, true words about who we are, both spoken from others and to ourselves about who we truly are. A practice I've gotten in the habit of over the last couple years, because I'll tell you, I'll confess myself, over the last five years, I've recognized that I lived for decades with a different who at the center or a a different who competing to be at the center of my affections, that being public opinion, living for not only what others wanted from me, but what I assumed what others want from me, which is even worse. Some of you know exactly what that means, and it's exhausting. And so I've developed or I've learned from others a practice of being silent and recentering on who I truly am. So I find a chair, find a comfy place, put my feet on the ground because the ground is solid. My uncertainties are not solid, so I'm reminding myself right there. And then I open my hands, and I set a timer for two minutes. And in that time, I tell myself, I remind myself, the blessing that Jesus got is baptism. I'm a beloved son with whom God is well-pleased. And I speak that, and I commend that to you, to say, Lord, I am your beloved daughter, your beloved son, and you're proud of me, and you're happy to grant me eternal life. When the prodigal son went back to his father, the dad didn't say, you idiot. The son was like, I, I'm going to be your servant. He said, no, come here. We're going to throw a party because you're home. So remind yourself that eternal life is a gift for you that's available. And once you've done that, you may feel conviction to move. And maybe frame it this way. Maybe some of you feel an invitation to lay down where some bios loves, so those material, physical things have become the center of your affections, and put that down to take up eternal life. The invitation is there. It can take courage. So I want to pray that for you. I want to leave you with a thought. Um, as we go from here. This week, think through this. In what way is the Holy Spirit inviting me into alignment with eternal life, that being Zoe life? And that could involve a question, a follow-up question. What bios life do I feel compelled to put down for the sake of eternal life right now? That could be with our calendar. That could be with a habit that I feel totally stuck in. Whatever it is, if you feel like it's hard, we want to pray for you. And if this feels like, man, I just feel like bombarded with stuff right now, and you might be a person out there, you're thinking, I just feel tired and exhausted with life. And I hear about eternal life, but I wonder, have I missed the boat? Like, I just feel tired. Y'all, that is legit. Some of you feel that way, and we would love to pray for you as well and hear your story. So find someone trusted and let you experience the unity of God and sharing your story with someone who loves you and trusts you. We'll be here to pray for you at the end. And we'd love for you to come forward and we invite you to that opportunity. As we go to communion, think about it as if it's a family meal reminding us of the life to come. At the family meal of Jesus, if you've been a bad kid, you're still invited to the table. Nobody gets sent to the room without dinner. The table is here for you. Come taste eternal life. I want to pray for us. And I want to invite you to do this. In youth, we often open our hands to receive a blessing. So if you're comfortable, open your hands. Jesus, thank you for your prayer for us. Thank you that you are praying for us right now. Thank you for your mission to grant eternal life to us. And God, I pray for those of us um, who have been living with a diminished sense of that, that you awaken the reality of eternal life, of where we're going. You give us courage. If that means changing how we prioritize our lives now, that you give us courage to do that, to prepare for what's coming. God, I pray that you give us rest. I pray that you give us a reminder of our true identity, that we're your beloved daughters and sons. And as you said to Jesus, you're well pleased. God, we thank you. Let your goodness and kindness go with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.